Welcome to Eastgate Church. I trust you'll find this message inspiring and encouraging for you today. Probably all asking yourselves about is, how did I get this? Well, I didn't get a Glasgow kiss out in the town last night. My wife and I haven't had a bus stop. Strange but true, I was assaulted by a paper towel dispenser in my office last night. I went in, I've been ministering in Wales this past week, so um, I popped into the office last night to, to pick up the literature. It went to the toilet. As I pulled a paper towel down, the whole thing just, <laughs> just collapsed. <laughs> Strange but true. So just in case you're thinking, how did I get that scratch? So there we go. But it's such a blessing to be here. I was just thinking there, uh, I first came across Arthur 12 years ago. Uh, it was in Destiny Church. Remember, it was the whole time of consulting on same-sex marriage. Uh, and I was immediately struck by uh, not only the, the, the conviction and the clarity with what he was saying, but uh, the fact that he was saying that, that, that same-sex marriage, if it was to come in, was going to be harmful uh, for men caught up in the, in the addiction of homosexual behavior. And, and, uh, and I could tell that Arthur uh, knew exactly what he was talking about and uh, had ministered to these men and had seen the carnage uh, that, that that lifestyle has done to their bodies as well as to their souls. Uh, so I was thinking, I'd love to meet this man. For some reason, I thought it was East Mains. He said, I was looking for his church in East Mains, in East Kilbride. <laughs> but something wrong with here. Then I realized it was East Gate. And we, we met, I think it was last year. Yeah. And a great time of fellowship through next door. And uh, I know Charles and Anne caught him as well. I met up with him recently. And with, through one thing or another, um, basically, Arthur very kindly uh, invited me to, to speak uh, today. So it's great to be here amongst you uh, this morning. Now, of course, today's the fifth of November, and Arthur said that uh, he was hoping that it was going to be something explosive. Uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll leave that to the Lord uh, with, with, uh, with whatever uh, he chooses to, to bring. So I'm going to give you a little bit of an introduction about the work of the Christian Institute. I've spoken with one or two of you already. I'm conscious that some folks won't be aware of, of who we are. Um, but uh, I'll say a little bit about um, who we are, some of the big concerns we're facing just now, and then we're going to come to, uh, come to God's Word uh, together. So, can we have the, uh, there's the first slide up there, right, that, that doesn't show up there, is that right? So, I'm, I'm going to need then just to, just to sort of uh, look, stand sideways, hopefully that's okay, uh, just to kind of explain, uh, there's Stephen, maybe trying to, trying to fix things, but in the meantime, next slide please, I'm going to sound like that Chris Whitty guy, aren't they, next slide, well, the, uh, the Christian Institute uh, firmly believes in the inspiration, the authority the inerrancy, infallibility, and the sufficiency of the Word of God. Uh, and we seek to, to, to base all that we do on the unchangeable truths of Scripture. Amen. Next slide, please. Uh, there's a picture of our staff. Please do uh, remember our staff in prayer. They're a fantastic bunch of people. It's been my great uh, privilege for the exact 13 years ago this week, I started working for the Christian Institute. Uh, I started off down in Newcastle, where most of these dear brothers and sisters are based. Uh, but whether it was my rambunctious sense of humor or personality, whatever, but they wanted to send me back to Scotland as soon as possible. Uh, so they made me Scotland officer uh, in summer 2011. So it's been my great honor, my great privilege uh, to speak in churches uh, across the country uh, about um, the work of the Institute. Uh, the folks there, some of them are from churches like this one. I, I love coming to a church like this. I wish ours was a wee bit more lively, like yourselves. Uh, I'm not sure which church I'm from, but uh, Bible-believing church altogether. And I, and I love 
uh, the freedom of worship uh, in churches like this. Indeed, many of our staff will attend similar churches in, in the Newcastle area. Uh, but basically, our staff span the evangelical denominations because we know that the, the, the Church of Jesus Christ is rich and diverse. Uh, there are those that are a wee bit more conservative uh, and, and don't like to uh, express themselves so much in worship, but they believe the truth. Uh, and there's folks like yourselves that are very happy uh, to worship uh, as the Spirit leads. And, uh, but the, th the main thing is that we all believe in the Lord Jesus. We all believe in the authority of his word. We all believe in the need, uh, the desperate need for men and women and young people uh, to, to come and bow the knee to King Jesus, repenting of their sins and putting their faith and their hope uh, in Christ. And, and it, is, it is an incredible privilege uh, to be part and parcel uh, of uh, the ministry of the gospel throughout the whole of Scotland. Indeed, I was, as I say, I was down in Wales last week. I'm going to be down in, in Blackpool, uh, in, in, the, in the near Liverpool there, just in the north of England, uh, next week. Uh, so it's a great privilege that, that my, my ministry is not only in Scotland, but occasionally they'll, they'll let me into other parts of the UK uh, as well. Uh, the young man there in the wheelchair, what, what a lovely, lovely, spiritful Christian that man is. He's, he's, uh, he's um, paraplegic, he's more or less paralyzed from the waist down, but one of the most joyful Christians uh, I've ever met, never complains, always full of the Lord, always great fellowship having with Josh. So Josh and I were uh, in Wales last week, and uh, in, the, in the providence of the Lord, it was so wonderful. He's from a little place called Wem in Shropshire, and uh, I don't think this was known at all to the staff when it was planned for him to, uh, to be doing this mini tour of Wales that we did, but he turned 25 on Friday, and uh, the route back from Cardiff to Newcastle goes through Shropshire, so he was able to have lunch with his mum and dad on the farm there. Uh, the, the, the province of God is a, is a wonderful, wonderful thing. Uh, they know the Lord as well, and it was great having fellowship uh, with them. Well, I'm not going to go through every member of staff there, but do pray for them because uh, the work that we're doing is uh, hugely difficult, but it's hugely important, and it's hugely uh, necessary. Next slide, please. So that's our headquarters in uh, Newcastle, just in Gosforth, uh, on the outskirts of Newcastle there. Uh, the Lord has blessed us with uh, uh, wonderful buildings that are so uh, helpful for us to do all that we, we seek to do. Uh, next slide, please. So Christian Institute has been going since 1990. Uh, you'll be aware, I guess, of, of some of the other public square organizations. The, the older ones would be Evangelical Alliance, set up in the 1840s. Uh, CARE has just celebrated its 40th anniversary this year. And we've got good working relationships with them. But I think they would agree uh, that what they tend to do is say a little about a whole lot of issues. Uh, but the burden of the, those that founded uh, the Christian Institute uh, back there in 89-90 was to have a, a, a really in-depth focus on just a few key areas uh, that they believed in. I think that uh, that vision that the Lord gave them was absolutely been honored uh, over these years. Key areas that were going to be absolutely crucial uh, for us to be uh, standing for, for truth, standing for all that is good and right and true. So those three areas are marriage and the family. Thanks for getting that up there. That saves me from... Uh, swiveling around for the rest of the, the morning. Uh, marriage and the family. Next slide, please. Um, religious liberty. And uh, many of you will know, remember the, the, the case. It was decided five years ago in the Supreme Court. Uh, Daniel and Amy MacArthur, they are absolutely fantastic, winsome, Christ-like, godly couple. And I believe firmly uh, that it wasn't just the strength of the legal arguments, but every time uh, that couple faced the media with such grace, such humility. I'm certain the Supreme Court judges were watching and they were seeing these are just ordinary Christians. There's nothing hateful. There's nothing discriminatory. There's nothing whatsoever phobic about them. They're just living out their faith. And let me tell you, uh, it was an absolute miracle, that, that, that case. Uh, it's two parts of the case shouldn't really have been heard. Uh, there was no actual legal route uh, for the Supreme Court to hear them. 
But because there was one part that they could hear, uh, the, and the other thing is, I'll come back to that in a wee minute, uh, the, the, the thing is that the Supreme Court doesn't sit in circuit, it doesn't go around the country. It sits there just opposite Big Ben and the Houses of Parliament in London. That's where the Supreme Court is. But the one and only time it went to where the case uh, had actually taken place was with Asher's Baking Company. Uh, they went over to Belfast because they wanted to send a really, really strong message to the lower courts there that had uh, completely unjustly found the, that, that lovely family guilty of discrimination. Uh, so much prayer went up from all the churches in Northern Ireland. My, my, my colleague over there said it was, it was a joy to speak in these churches. There was thousands of people went to support them. Uh, and there was a big public meeting in the Waterfront Hall in Belfast. Uh, God's people united in earnest prayer for that court case. And it was absolutely miraculous uh, because, uh, as I say, there was only one aspect of the case that actually uh, there was a legal route to get there to the Supreme Court. So, and, and the appeal court in Belfast tried to say, no, nope, we're not going to let you appeal to the Supreme Court. But thankfully, that decision, that unjust decision, uh, was open to be considered by the Supreme Court. That's the first thing they did. They threw that out. They said, yes, it's right for us to hear this appeal uh, on that ground. And although there's no legal route to hear the other two, we have a broad discretion to hear them anyway. And that wasn't even challenged on appeal because they do that discretion. So on all three grounds, they completely vindicated the MacArthur family. And we give glory to God for that glorious decision. And the thing is, the thing is that, that that has set a precedent. You can probably tell I used to be a lawyer. I'll try not to get too much legal speak here. But it set a precedent. Now, the thing is about Supreme Court precedents or House of Lords precedents, as, as they used to have, is they're even stronger than any piece of legislation that could be passed. Because any piece of legislation could be overturned by a new government. But when you get a Supreme Court precedent, it lasts for decades. In whatever country, we, we, we just saw uh, last year, didn't we, Roe v. Wade being overturned uh, in the state. So that's the United States Supreme Court. In that case, that was an unjust case. It took 50 years for it to be overturned. But that, the, what, what has happened with the, with the, the, uh, the Asher's case is it is a just decision. Uh, and I really firmly believe that it will stand uh, as a decision, uh, as a precedent, until the Lord Jesus returns. Because uh, the, 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 the just judges in the Supreme Court, then we can really give thanks for them. Uh, they held that no one can force us to hold or express any viewpoint that we don't believe ourselves. No one can force us to change our minds. That, that's, that, that is a good law. It's called compelled expression or compelled speech. And that was really strengthened. In fact, if, if you look up compelled expression on Wikipedia uh, and it shows or compelled speech and it's got a whole range of cases around the world. Uh, and for the UK, there's only two cases that are mentioned. One is Asher's. And the other one is the, the Wigtown Martyrs, the two Margarets that were drowned in the Solway. So that's the kind of importance of this case. Uh, and we, we give thanks for that tremendous witness of those Wigtown Martyrs. And in a different way, we give thanks for the, uh, the MacArthur family that were under enormous pressure with the, 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 the media, uh, basically, uh, the world's media. It's not just the UK media. The world's media was focusing on them. The pressure they were under was enormous. But the Lord sustained them, and, and they, they carried it through right to the, to the final hearing in the Supreme Court and were utterly vindicated. So we give God glory for, for that, uh, that, uh, that wonderful decision. I, didn't, I wasn't planning to say quite as much about that, and we're going to go through the next few slides a bit faster than that one. But I really wanted to, to just pause for that one because it was such a glorious answer to prayer. Next slide, please. Sanctity of life issue. Now, we're going to be saying a wee bit about assisted suicide later on, uh, but there is a push for abortion on demand uh, that activists are pushing for all the time. And it is an absolute tragedy, the, the culture of death that there is uh, in our beloved nation uh, at this time. Next slide, please. Uh, 
So you'll find on your seats uh, this card here. This is my first time at Eastgate. It's a, it's a great joy to be here. Um, but I, if you are not already on our mailing list, please do take the opportunity uh, today just to take a moment just to fill out the card. We've got pens on the table there if you, if you haven't got a pen. There's a little blue basket on the table as well. It would be a huge encouragement for me if that was full to overflowing uh, by the end of the, this morning. We do work in partnership with grassroots Christians like yourselves because you can do things that we can't do. Uh, you can respond to consultation. We can only make one response to any government consultation. We can only uh, speak maybe to a government minister on a subject, but you can speak to your local MSPs. Uh, we have no locus to do that at all, but you're the constituents. You're able to, uh, to seek to be a godly influence, seek to be salt and light uh, with them when important legislation is coming up. So we work very much in partnership with our supporters. Now, conscious that you probably get a whole lot of other stuff uh, from Christian organizations. We understand that. Um, however, um, if you only want to receive our stuff by email, that's fine. Uh, but please do put your postcode on the card because that way our system will recognize you live in Scotland and you'll get stuff that is relevant for Scotland. But we would love you to be on both our postal and our email list because that, in that way you get everything. Uh, and you'll get things like this, this lovely leaflet here uh, that comes out twice a year, uh, our week of prayer, which in the providence of God is starting today. So uh, the week of prayer that we have twice a year starts today, runs till next Saturday, and we've got lots of copies of that little leaflet there, uh, really helping us to pray uh, using scripture uh, for all these uh, things that we'll be praying about. So for today, it's praying for those in authority that, that Paul tells in 1 Timothy 2 is something of first importance. Uh, first of all, we will need to be praying for kings and those in authority. Tomorrow, it's gospel freedom. Tuesday, uh, I'll be doing a wee video for that on gender ideology, this, this, this destructive ideology that is permeating the whole of society. Assisted suicide, uh, our, our, our opposition to that, our outright opposition to that is the theme on Wednesday. Schools, what is happening in our schools is utterly shocking. Uh, that's the focus of prayer on Thursday. Society as a whole, society as a whole is we're going to be praying for on Friday and then uh, for ourselves because if Paul asked for prayer, then it's right for us to ask for prayer as well. We do really need and covet the prayers of God's people uh, for all that we seek to do uh, to honor the Lord Jesus uh, in these matters. Next slide, please. So our website, Christian.org.uk, is one of the most popular Christian websites, nearly 5 million views every year. Uh, the team in Newcastle do a fantastic job updating that with news stories, uh, podcasts, uh, interviews. It's just a fantastic website altogether. I can say that because there's nothing about me on that one, but it's, it's, my, it's my wonderful colleagues in Newcastle that are so gifted by the Lord, uh, who's called them to serve him in this way, uh, but uh, you'll find that a really, really useful uh, resource just to help you to develop a biblical worldview about all these matters and, and pray with real intelligence and real understanding into, into these matters. Next slide, please. So I've got a whole lot of free literature on the table there, uh, but one of the ones there just uh, uh, on the left is this, if you're new to our work, uh, this leaflet, the, the Christian Faith in the Public Square, uh, is a great introduction uh, in giving basically 10 biblical reasons for being a, a witness in terms of the public square. Um, there's a news video we put out every Friday, a little five-minute news video. Uh, we can come on to the next slide, that's fine. Um, and that, you'll get a link to that. If you're, if you're signed up to our email, you get a link to that. Uh, every Friday, plus all the 15 or so news stories that we'll put, uh, the, the, what we believe are the five most, what, the ones already that we'll see uh, over, over the space of the week, the, the five most popular news stories we include in the news video uh, that, uh, that, that goes out on a Friday. Uh, and we see there's, there's 15 or so news stories you can click on and read uh, just to keep you up to date with all that is, is happening. Next slide, please. 
As I say, there is that uh, week of prayer just uh, starting today. Next slide. Okay, just uh, want to mention a little bit about education. I could, I could spend the whole time uh, speaking about education, but uh, uh, just to say, uh, next slide please, that uh, um, we have a, a dedicated education team and, and we've got a, a, a booklet there. If you have children or grandchildren in the school, then our Equip for Equality uh, briefing is, is very much for you uh, because it's, it's laid out in a Q&A format and it basically says what uh, the law says that schools can and can't teach and more importantly, perhaps, what they should and shouldn't be teaching, with a strong emphasis saying that schools should not be places of indoctrination. Uh, that the Christian position on all these matters really ought to be part and parcel of every school's education because uh, we, we live in a country with, which has an incredible Christian heritage uh, and it's absolutely right for even the most secular of schools uh, to, to, to teach pupils uh, our Christian heritage and what scripture teaches on these matters. Uh, that, that is basically what the law requires. Uh, so that's a really helpful briefing there that you can get. We've also got on, on, the, on the upright stand there um, a little briefing there about uh, John Denning, who is, uh, well, he's actually head of education now, uh, and his, his colleague, uh, Daniela. Both of them formerly teachers, uh, and they're there to help you. And there's the contact details if you, if you need any specific help, specific advice about situation involving uh, one of the schools in the area, if you're a parent, a teacher, or, or a grandparent. Uh, next slide. What I also wanted to mention here is that uh, there is a public consultation ongoing. Uh, we have just uh, recently just uh, produced a briefing, uh, but if you sign up today, I'll make sure that you get a copy of that briefing uh, as well. Uh, and it is really quite concerning uh, what is in that uh, new proposed guidance. Uh, we have the opportunity to have our say, uh, and if particular if you're a parent, please uh, do sign up uh, to the card, and then I'll be able to forward you a copy of that briefing. I'll undertake to do that, even though it went out this past week, so that you have the opportunity uh, to respond to that consultation. We have until the 23rd of this month uh, to do so. Next slide, please. And again. Okay, so this conversion practices ban is really is a big, big concern uh, that we have. Uh, next slide, please. Uh, basically, what is being proposed uh, by activists is that uh, any prayer, next slide, any preaching, any pastoral care, and any parenting, and that takes it obviously way outside the church and without, out with even faith communities, because, next slide please, uh, we know that the vast majority of ordinary Scottish parents believe in, in the reality of biological sex, and that just because they're loving parents, they would be deeply concerned if their uh, teenage son or daughter wanted to take harmful drugs to try and make them the opposite sex. Any loving parent's gonna say, do you wanna just slow down a wee bit here? Even saying that, the activists want to be uh, criminalized and perhaps even the children taken off their parents uh, if, if they persist in that uh, um, protestation and objection to that. So really, really concerning what is happening with that. Uh, next slide, please. I think this is going to be, no, this, this is, so this is a, the Scottish Parliament, uh, again, this is a public consultation uh, that they are promising uh, that is likely to be uh, in December. Um, there's some, uh, and the next slide, please. Uh, there's some great videos uh, on uh, our campaign website for this, which is called Let Us Pray. There's, there's little cards there just behind the pens on the table there. Uh, you can take them and I've uh, got plenty 
plenty more in the box if they all go. Um, and sign up to get the emails there. Look at the website. There's some great videos, some great blog pieces, great articles. It's really looking in depth of what is being proposed. But uh, you'll have heard probably in the news that, uh, and indeed we may, we may or may not be hearing it mentioned in the King's speech in Westminster, but, but certainly uh, Rishi Sunak has said there is going to be a draft bill. And that's quite interesting. Because it's only a draft bill, that means it cannot become law. Uh, before the next general election. But um, it is a concerning step down that road uh, for legislation to be passed in England and Wales. Uh, but of course, there will be separate, because of devolution, there will be separate legislation proposed in Scotland. And the next big thing is, very likely before Christmas, there will be a public consultation launched. Uh, again, we will provide a briefing for that for our supporters, but again, you must be on the mailing list uh, to, to get that. Uh, we'll probably produce that late January, early February. Uh, we're likely to be doing a, a Scotland-wide conference uh, mid-February. Again, if you're on our mailing list, we'll be able to give you uh, details, and that is proposed for not a million miles away from here. I don't want to say too much because this is going out online, but uh, please do uh, watch out for details in relation to that. I'm going to have some great speakers, and uh, we'll bring everyone up to date with all that's, that's happening there. But it's so crucial that as many Christians as possible respond to that public consultation, because we know the activists will be mobilizing their constituency. Their supporters are very, very zealous uh, for things to change with the law. Uh, and the Lord's people need to be at least as zealous for all that is good and right and true. Amen? Amen. Okay, next slide. So lastly, just uh, the other thing that's happening, uh, we, we do work on, I say, both abortion uh, and assisted suicide. Uh, and uh, we, some of our staff have been heavily involved with, uh, with the public demonstrations and conferences that have been in relation to uh, speaking out against the great, great, great social evil of abortion. Over 10 million uh, precious lives uh, snuffed out over these past 55 years. Uh, an absolute tragedy. And just as we look back now, uh, at the time of slavery and say, how on earth as a nation could we have tolerated slavery? If the Lord tarries, uh, <laughs> I really wonder whether he will be tarrying, but he's a merciful God. If he tarries for another 200 years, it's my hope and prayer that the people then will look back now and say, how on earth could a nation have tolerated this absolute genocide of the unborn? Uh, we must not have hardened consciences on this. We need to plead with God uh, to overturn things in the way that's happened in the United States with Roe v. Wade being overturned, we need to pray for a sea change in our own culture. But assisted suicide is the, is the big issue. Thanks for the next slide there, just moving along quickly. Lee MacArthur, who's the MS, uh, the, of the MSP for Orkney, uh, he is expected very soon uh, to be bringing out uh, an assisted suicide bill. Um, our good friends at uh, Care Not Killing, uh, my very, very good friend Gordon McDonald, please do pray for him. Uh, he's under huge pressure. The, the Max Parliament are com coming very close uh, to, to actually passing a euthanasia law, you know, which is actually having the doctors actually kill you. Um, and that, that's passed its first hurdle. Uh, please do pray. All it's needing is for six members of the House of Keys uh, to just think again and to join those, that, the, the seven that opposed it. There's 25 of them. Uh, I think it is uh, 24, 25. Uh, there needs to just be six more of those. That 17 were for it, seven against it. 24, we just need six of those that voted for it at the first hurdle to change their minds. So let's pray that the Lord will move. Maybe even more than six. All it needs is six minds to be changed. We know that God is all-powerful. He can change hearts and minds. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord like seams of water. He turns it wherever he wills. 
Proverbs 21.1. So we've got uh, a petition there, and I said to Gordon, I said, uh, wherever I speak, I'll encourage folks to sign your petition, not just to sign it, but to put your email address and tick the box as well, uh, because uh, we do what we can. We do a, a bit to do with assisted suicide, but the Care Not Killing campaign is the main thing. Uh, and uh, we will probably wait for a bill before we do anything next with it, but maybe the bill won't happen. Maybe there'll be so much, uh, so many people responding to their MSPs, word gets back to Neely MacArthur, and he'll maybe think, it's too 50-50 this, uh, I'll not go ahead. Who knows about these things? But if you're signed up to the Care Not Killing campaign uh, to receive their emails, you'll, you'll get the very best help available uh, in terms of uh, responding to uh, well, not just respond to what's happening, but actually just getting in touch with your, your MSPs. And uh, if the Lord has prospered you as well, uh, then they certainly could do with uh, a bit of financial help. They do a whole lot more uh, if, if they had. They're, they're running on something of a shooting budget, but the Dignity in Dying campaign that's pushing to have the law changed, they've got very, very deep pockets. So I uh, do pray uh, that the Lord will provide uh, for all of their needs. Uh, we've got a, a briefing on assisted suicide ourselves. Please do take copies of that. Next slide, please. Okay, well, we're going to be looking at uh, God's word for the rest of our time together. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 4, uh, verses 1 to 14. I should really have put the, uh, the scripture up there on, on the PowerPoints, but I guess you'll all either have phones or, or Bibles. Uh, we're looking at Nehemiah uh, chapter 4, verses 1 to 14, and I'm, I'm reading from the, the New King James Version here. So Nehemiah chapter 4. This is God's word. But it so happened when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. And he spoke before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burned? You can just imagine the crowd probably saying no, no to all these, all these questions. And then here we've got uh, Tobiah the Ammonite who's wanting to have his say. Uh, now Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and said, and he said, whatever they build, if even a fox goes up in it, he will break down their stone wall. You can just imagine the crowd mocking and jeering and laughing uh, at that. But the tone changes completely in verse 4, where we, we hear Nehemiah almost certainly leading God's people in prayer, where he says, Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their own heads and give them as plunder to a land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity. Do not let their sin be blotted out from before you, for they have provoked you to anger before the builders. And I believe very much that God's people were heard that prayer and were inspired by that prayer. We read in verse six, so we built the wall and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height for the people had a mind to work. Thanks very much uh, for the scripture up there. Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were, being, were beginning to be closed that they became very angry and all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God, and because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. That's what I'm calling this message today, setting a watch. Now, we set our watches last weekend, putting them back, 
But this is really setting a guard, a guard to protect God's people. There is a role for God's people to set a watch, to set a guard. Verse 10, then Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing. And there is so much rubbish that, that we're not able to build the wall. And our adversary said, they will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. So it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came that they told us 10 times from whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. What a defeatist tone from God's people. But once again, the calm leadership of Nehemiah, verse 13. Therefore, I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings, and I set the people according to their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. Amen. May God add a blessing to this reading from his word. Well, this well-known chapter in Nehemiah doesn't need much introduction, but to any of you who are maybe unfamiliar with it, uh, Nehemiah is in exile in the city of Susa, and he hears from those who have, heard, who have come from Judah about the plight of the Jews back home, how the walls of Jerusalem have been destroyed and its gates burned, and Nehemiah weeps before the Lord. And since he is cupbearer to King Artaxerxes, he prays for an opportunity to ask his permission to return to Jerusalem, and his prayer is answered. So he returns to Jerusalem to oversee the rebuilding of the walls, but not without opposition. Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite are not at all happy that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. And once they hear the progress that's being made, they become very angry and plot to fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. So we see, first of all here, that there is hostile denigration of the work that God's people are engaged in. Sanballat and then Tobiah ridicule and mock the Israelites. And that is so often the way with God's people that the world mocks what we seek to do, uh, laugh at what we're trying to do. And it's very easy for us to become discouraged or perhaps even just to retaliate in kind. But Nehemiah doesn't do that. He's not at all intimidated by this. No, instead, he expresses heartfelt supplication uh, to God. Next point. And it's a very honest prayer, isn't it? And it asks God to reverse the situation. And it seems that that uh, prayer inspired God's people because we see next that there is wholehearted dedication by the people to the rebuilding of the wall. And that shows us how important godly prayerful leadership is to inspire the people of God to engage in the work of building Christ's kingdom. Nehemiah has much to teach us for our own day, surely. And he was a wise leader too, because after he and the Israelites had prayed, they posted a guard, they set a watch day and night. They were united in vigilance against a common enemy. But when God's people got to the halfway stage, their enemies were very angry. And we see next that there was hate-fueled agitation. Uh, they were really angry and uh, they were united in their hatred against God's people. Not the strategy 
of God's enemies. In verse 7, they were united in anger at the progress of God's work. Uh, they were united in their plans to oppose it. And they were united in their purpose to cause confusion. Uh, we don't know what is going on behind closed doors, but there does seem to be uh, a kind of hidden unity uh, that's going on in terms of uh, what's happening not only in the UK, but indeed globally, in particular with the LGBT agenda. There is a, a, a really demonic unity uh, there, a, an axis of evil that is seeking to uh, overturn all that is good and right and true uh, in the nations. But let's see as well the response of God's people, which was a holistic preparation, a really comprehensive, thorough preparation for any attack. And notice the three things that they did. They first of all prayed to God, but they acted as well. Uh, so often we say at the Christian Institute, it's great to pray, it's really important. In fact, how praise the Lord that you have a prayer meeting every night. Brother, I wish every church did that. Absolutely fantastic. The Lord is bound to bless that. Because we read in 1 Timothy 2 that if anything, uh, meeting for prayer is even more important than gathering together today, like today uh, on the Lord's Day. It has got to be a top priority. So praise God for you making that top priority here. Uh, and do support our, our Arthur and the leadership here and attend these prayer meetings. Uh, you will be blessed and God will work uh, in your community here uh, through the work of this church. But we need to act as well. It's not just, well, tick the box, I've been to the prayer meeting, I don't need to do anything. Uh, throughout scripture, and this chapter is a great example of prayer and action going together. And then lastly, they were constantly vigilant. That guard was set day and night, setting a watch day and night. But notice, it's really quite surprising this, because even though they, they, they did all the right things, despite all of that, all was not well among God's people in Judah at large even among those who were engaged in uh, the building work. There was next unhelpful consternation. For these folk, the glass wasn't just half empty. It was uh, completely drained. Their negativity and pessimism knew no bounds. There was discouragement and de defeatism in verse 10. There was timidity and a kind of fatalistic, you know, we're just going to, you know, whatever... Side, we're just going to be defeated, folks, really, and the work's going to be put to an end, completely fatalistic. And again, how does Nehemiah respond? It's fascinating, I think, this, this section, there's the three voices, there's the, there's the mocking voice of God's enemies, there's the fearful voice of God's people, but there's the calm and steady voice of Nehemiah. How does he respond? He doesn't concede any of these points. He's completely unmoved by their negativity. Instead, he gives them a different task to do. And after taking stock of the whole situation, he then addresses everyone, regardless of who they were, nobles and officials are included, and regardless of whether they were involved with the rebuilding or not, there's one message that Nehemiah brings to all of them, and it's a holy exhortation, a holy exhortation, which resonates so clearly in our own day. Verse 14, and I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome. And fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. So, first of all, don't fear your enemies. Something to resist, a temptation to resist. Because we are so prone to being afraid of the opposition that's out there against uh, the work of the Lord Jesus, the work of the church, uh, against the gospel. We're to resist that temptation. Next, uh, 
remember God's promises, something to recall. That's so much we see uh, in Scripture is to recall the, the, the great, mighty, very great and precious promises of God that we find there in his word. Uh, we need to daily be recalling God's greatness uh, and awesome nature. And then finally, uh, something to resolve, something to resolve to do, to fight for our brethren, fight for our families. Well, Paul tells us in the New Testament that all scripture uh, is profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Uh, and that he also says that Israel's history is recorded as a warning to us on whom the culmination of the ages has come, 1 Corinthians 10. And that everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope, Romans 15. So important for us to realize before we go any further that the issue here is not, is, the issue here is fighting for one another, not with one another. Too often Christians have neglected the former and have opted for the latter. We need to be united as brothers and sisters in Christ uh, to fight for one another, not with one another. So with all that in mind, let's ask ourselves, why should Christians set a watch and fight for their families? Well, first of all, because we are in a spiritual battle, next point, uh, against the world, the flesh, and the devil. None of us is exempt from this, and none of us can opt out without terrible consequences for our souls. Secondly, because we have spiritual responsibilities within our families, Children are to obey their parents in all things, and parents are to raise their families in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Wives are to submit to their husbands as to the Lord. Husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Even as adults, we are still to honor our father and mother in their old age. Then thirdly, because we are called to overcome the world and its ideologies by faith. This is something focused very much in the Apostle John's writings. In his gospel, his first letter, and in the book of Revelation. Overcoming the world is something that Christ has achieved for us, praise God. Yet the Christian life is a lifelong struggle to appropriate that victory in our own lives in order to persevere and to overcome the world. Now note from the letters to the seven churches that not only do those who overcome receive a glorious reward in heaven, but it's only for those who overcome. There are dire spiritual warnings in each of these letters for those who do not overcome. Next, and closely related to this, because the spiritual dangers of our day are even more threatening than the physical dangers God's people faced in Nehemiah's day. Ephesians 6 verses 10 to 18 isn't just for church leaders. It was written for the whole church at Ephesus. And by extension, every single one of us as believers and as Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones helpfully points out in his commentary, it's no accident that that section on spiritual warfare comes right after Paul's teaching on marriage, the family, and the workplace, because so often these are the arenas in which spiritual warfare takes place. Uh, we need to be fighting for our families. Satan loves to destroy marriages, loves to de destroy families. So I haven't looked at why Christians should fight for the family. We should now ask the question, how? can Christians set a watch and fight for their families? Well, Nehemiah could have said, fight against your enemies, or fight for the nation, or even fight for the Lord. 
But he knew how important families were to everyone, so he exhorts them to think of their families as an incentive to fight. Let's take Nehemiah's list in order. Uh, first of all, families, or as, as the New King James has it, brethren. Don't we love our earthly families? Next point, please. Uh, including our brothers and sisters, especially if they are believers. We should be encouraging them to take a serious interest in all that is happening in terms of the threats to our freedoms and our godly heritage and the great evil, tsunami of evil that is being threatened uh, to be protected by law uh, in, in our nation. Because sadly, many are completely unaware of what is happening in our culture. Next, children and grandchildren. Parents and grandparents should be opposing the LGBT indoctrination that is rife in schools across Scotland and sex education that encourages promiscuity and abortion for all secondary school girls who find themselves pregnant, assuring them that their parents won't be told about it. Next, uh, wives. Uh, next one. Uh, next, wives and spouses. Uh, at a time when so, so many marriages, next one please, uh, including Christian marriages, uh, are under pressure, spouses need to persevere through all the difficulties and fight to save their marriages when the world is screaming that divorce is so easy nowadays and that that will be the solution to all our marital woes. I even hear many Christians saying that really uh, it's okay to get divorced and remarried in, in ways that scripture no way uh, permits truly shocking how the world has come into uh, the church, evangelical churches. And then homes, lastly, homes. We need to oppose state intrusion into every household. Now, the Christian Institute's successful challenge to the discredited uh, named person scheme was granted by the Supreme Court in 2016 because it breached every Scottish parent and child's right to privacy and family life. Uh, but there are new threats on the horizon too with the conversion practices ban. As I say, it's not just going to be uh, a full-on assault on, on the gospel work of churches, the ordinary work of evangelism and discipleship of every gospel church. But as I said, parents, uh, any parents that express any concern, uh, raise any concerns at all about their, their, their teenage child wanting to self-identify as the opposite sex or non-binary, whatever, uh, if that news gets back to activists, then they could get a knock on the door from the police if this legislation is passed. And then finally, parents and grandparents. We can surely add them, sorry, next point, uh, not quite the last one, we're almost there. Um, we can surely add parents and grandparents to the list. You and your adult children need to speak out about the proposals to introduce assisted suicide into law because every hospital would be obliged to offer it as an option to every terminally ill patient. Um, I would imagine that this, this church, like just about every other one, will, will perhaps have someone every year uh, that is diagnosed with uh, cancer, uh, perhaps with uh, uh, terminal cancer. And we rightly pray for their healing. We rightly pray as they're receiving treatment in, in the hospital, if that's what they, they want, that we pray for the doctors and nurses to do their very best to preserve their lives, to help them. But if this law comes in, there'll be a, a legal obligation on every hospital as soon as the patient arrives and at several other points down their journey, offering them the option of assisted suicide. That, that will totally change the, the relationship between, parent, between, between patient and, and the NHS. So we need to do all we can uh, to oppose that. And finally, and most importantly, how can we not include the family of God? Teaching on the issues that I've mentioned is hugely important 
Uh, we need to be equipped and to speak out. And the Christian Institute is here to help you in any way that we can. Thank you very much indeed for your time this morning. Thanks for watching. If you've been challenged today, then please drop a message so that we can help support and pray for you. And also remember to subscribe to our channel so you don't miss the next message.